If you would this morning turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. Now I'll remind you that we are in the season of Lent. Lent means spring. Springtime is a time of cleaning. And so this is a sort of spring cleaning that we always mention. Uh, which is why we fast. It's why we clean out certain things in our life. Get rid of certain things in our life uh, that should not be there. And uh, in the same way, I want to do a series, and we started last week, um, on striving. Uh, striving is almost a battle term. Uh, you could almost replace it with uh, fight against or be in the fight. Um, to strive towards something is uh, sounds like you're really putting in some effort. And that's what's happening during the Lenten season. Is you're actually putting in effort on purpose, intentionally, to get closer to Jesus Christ. Now, I want to go somewhere in the Old Testament. We were in Mark last week, and I'll just remind you a little bit of the context. Before you ever even get out of Mark chapter 1, you have Jesus encountering a demon. I mean, chapter 1, boom, you're not even done with it. It's the beginning of His gospel, and you already have a demon showing up in the scene, and you're thinking, whoa, you know, demon-possessed man, where, where is this coming from? Now, as you move through Mark, you get more possessions. It's almost commonplace in Mark for demon possession, which makes us really look around and say, what about our world, right? And there's all these questions. And so, I want to move now to the foundation of the New Testament, which is the old, always. Anytime you're trying to understand something in the Bible, any kind of questions you have in the Bible, you start with the Old Testament, then work your way to the New Testament. So let's read here in 2 Kings. A really, It's a powerful story. It's one that once I heard it in Sunday school, was never able to forget it. Uh, it's, it's a real cool, um, especially boy story that you would really be like, all right, right on, this is, this, this is a Calvary. Notice these words. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus, he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. So in other words, to break that down, essentially the king of Syria was saying, hey, I'm going to make camp at this GPS location and we're going to, we're going to try to sneak in here and that way we can stage a, a, uh, a battlefront there. And, uh, and so then the man of God, who is Elisha here in this instance, receives this telegraph. <laughs> All right, he intercepts it and gives it to the king of Israel. Israelites go over there and disrupt their little plan. And basically the, the Syrians are saying, um, I'm sorry, king, uh, this guy's knowing what you're doing. Notice what happens here. And the mind of the king of Assyria uh, was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who, is, who of us is for the king of Israel? That's kind of a slight. In other words... Who, who wants this guy to live? Nobody. That's the point. Notice this. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. <laughs> and he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. 
So, he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria, (laughs) which is the capital of Israel, of the northern kingdom at least. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your holy Word. This is Your words to us, Lord. We pray that You would reveal some things to us this morning that we need to hear and understand and apply to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We need a heavenly vision. Now, they're, they're going to be singing, so let's, let's try to be as adult as we can and focus on what we need to be focused on. It's kind of like the guy in a meeting, you know, hey man, you're like... Focus, right? All right, so we're going, to, we're going to try this, okay? It's something new. We're, try, we're trying lots of new things at our church. We're a growing church, so just uh, so bear with us. We need a heavenly vision. Uh, here in this story, there's a heavenly vision given, obviously, and it's a powerful one. It's one that they needed and it accomplished something. And it seems to be the case that in Scripture, every time that there is a heavenly vision, angels showing up, these are critical times. If you think about Jacob who struggles with an angel, if you think about in the New Testament, Joseph and Mary both get an angelic visit. Not only that, the shepherds get a visit, don't they? They look up and see this heavenly host. There's traditionally been kind of two problems that C.S. Lewis identifies. One is to disbelieve in demons. That's one problem. And many of our world does. I mean, quite frankly, we, we feel like we've moved beyond uh, seeing fever or sickness or bad things that happen in our life as a direct result of the demonic. We feel like we've moved beyond the pagan uh, mindset of that. 
However, the other opposite ditch that we end up falling into is to believe in demons and have an unhealthy interest in them. So on one hand is not to believe. The other is to believe and almost become fascinated with this unseen world. And so I want to answer a couple of questions that arise naturally out of both of those uh, ditches. And I want to help us try to walk this middle way that we ought to walk and that the Bible even uh, presents to us in its words and really is found here uh, as a representation in, in 2 Kings and chapter 6. The first thing, disbelieving. If we don't disbelieve, then we must believe. So that means we actually do need to believe in the demonic. Again, you know, if you go to work and say, hey, man, I've just really been struggling against a demon, uh, that's probably not going to be good for your job. You know, that's probably, HR is probably going to give you a buzz on the phone. You know, hey, everything okay? Do we need a psychoanalysis here? Uh, we need to call in an intervention. Everything okay? Everything all right at home? Um, so, so again, you know, <laughs> there's, a, there's a real real middle ground here to understanding that there is a war going on that is at, as a, at a cosmic level that is beyond us. And really, as I begin even into this series where we're kind of dealing with the spiritual, and, and the whole reason this is coming about is because of Lent, where we are actually telling our body to deny certain things so that we can become more spiritually or heavenly minded rather than fleshly. It's very easy to fall into being fleshly, right? Just, just life coming at you. Basically, your life is just a response. You know, No, we need to have a heavenly vision where everything our flesh is doing is in accordance to where the Spirit is going in our life, where He's leading us in our life. And so I almost feel like a... Um, you know, oftentimes we hear our ch- overhear our children talking when they're playing And they oftentimes talk about adult things, you know, things they've heard or things that they're thinking about. And it's really comical to listen to, isn't it? Because they have no clue, do they? And yet they're trying to understand, they're trying to articulate, you know, well, no, Bertie, it was was because of this. Or or, Jackson, I think it was because of this. And, And really, it's almost funny. And I can't help but think that as I'm talking about a world that I can't see, that is that that the angels that God is laughing at us this morning as we're trying to be, you know, be real and be sophisticated about something we're talking about and yet we're so far off and removed from the reality of it. You know, if we could see, and this goes again to this heavenly vision, if we could just see the impact of one of our prayers, just one prayer. You know, you offer up a prayer, it takes you five minutes to really intercede for a few people and then you see heaven and earth moving in the spiritual realm along with the material realm if you could just see that it'd probably be hard for us to get up off of praying you'd probably want to pray all the time which is exactly what Paul says isn't it pray without ceasing never ending but see we can't we don't have a heavenly vision we we pray a lot of times and, and then we forget about it don't we I mean, you ever notice, I mean, I, people ask me to pray about things all the time. I, I pray for it because what I do is I pray for it immediately, right? And then I end up forgetting about it. Two weeks later, guys like, man, thanks for that thing. I'm like, what, what, what thing? Well, you, you pray for that. It, 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 something happened. God came through. And I'm like, all oh, right on, man. You know, we forget so easily 
that God really does hear our praying. It's it's one of the most important things, if not the most important thing you can do in life, is to pray to God. You're actually talking to the One who made you. The One who is almighty. Nothing is beyond Him, or beside Him, or behind Him. It's just Him. He's at the top. Nobody's even close. He created all things, including all of the angels, including all of the fallen angels. Which is why in the Creed we say, He's the Father Almighty, which means no one can come against Him. No power can come against Him. No one will ever... You know, He's not in conflict. We may be in a battle. He's not. He's not in a battle. Battle's on our side. Battle's down here. And yet if we could see, if we could see what was going on in this room, and let's just, let's just bring it down. We just see what was going on in this room. The powers at work. What Paul calls in the New Testament, the powers of the air. Why air? Because it's invisible. That's why. The powers of invisible. Over our kids. Over the marriages. I mean, you make plans at work. You have great vision at work. You have foresight. You, you put a lot of investment into it. So does this world. And they're against you. <laughs> Isn't that what the story shows? You know, these Syrians here, they're trying to take over Israel. I remember when it says Israel here, it's talking about actually the northern kingdom. Uh, and so, <laughs> Elisha gets surrounded because now, now he's got a death warrant. You know, they put him up on a poster, most wanted in Syria. They want his head because, as, as it was said, you know, apparently Elisha knows what's being talked about in the bedroom, in the king's bedroom. Somehow he's getting the telegraphs from God. And, and he knows everywhere, every little scheme that they try to throw together and that is thrawed every single time. And so the, the king of Assyria says, look, we got to get this guy. We gotta, and the Bible just simply calls him the man of God. That's how it addresses Elisha. Remember, Elisha came after Elijah uh, and did many, many miracles. These two guys probably hold the most miracles in the Old Testament of any two individuals, which is, which is fascinating. So Elisha, he gets surrounded by the Syrian army. His servant guy, you know, he wakes up, oh, one morning, mm, got to get my coffee. Oh, wow, this is not good. I mean, he's surrounded with, now, when it says chariots, you got to understand the ancient world, that's like bringing in the M1A1s. That's serious, but that's not just foot soldiers. You know, when you had a horse and a chariot, that's a tank in the ancient world. All right? So they brought in the tanks. They're, they're serious about getting this guy. And they surrounded the place. And this guy wakes up and says, Oh, oh, I gotta go tell, gotta go tell Elijah. Hey man, listen, uh, uh, we're surrounded. What do you want to do? He said, Oh, don't worry about it. What? Those who are for us are greater than those who are against us. And you can just imagine this guy, he goes, <laughs> just I don't see anybody. I mean, he goes back out there and looks, right? I mean, isn't that what you would do? He goes and looks and he don't see anybody. And he's rubbing his eyes thinking, okay, maybe, maybe I just uh, need another cup of coffee, right? So he's sipping again, looks again, nothing. And so, interestingly, Elisha prays this just really simple prayer. Lord, open his eyes that he might see. That's what I'm talking about here. When he goes out there again, what does he see? He sees that the mountains 
are covered with angels of fire, with their chariots of fire. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's one thing to have some steel going on. It's another thing to be a ball of fire. I mean, these are basically missiles up in the mountains. Already launched. And (laughs) they're all for them. You tracking me here? Yes, there's an evil power at work that is unseen and it is against us. We talked about that last week. The little bloop, bloop. Do this. No, don't do that. Yes, there's a real world that is spiritual. That is unseen. And yet, we do not have to fear that world. Because the forces of good in the world also in that unseen way, are greater, far greater than the enemy. (laughs) And so he opens his eyes and he can see. You know, we must believe in this unseen world and yet not become obsessed with it. But us in the West, the way we like to roll things is always by understanding, right? Reason. So we get information and we want to make sure it's verified, right? We Google it. We Wikipedia it. We research. We want to understand. That's okay. But the Bible is very limited. This is the biblical data. The Bible is very limited in what it has to say about the demonic. Yes, that it's there. Yes, that it's a power at work in our world and it's evil, it's pure evil, and yet we are not to understand how that world operates. We're not to be obsessed with trying to understand how it operates. That, now that gives us the freedom to understand that when somebody miscarries, that's not always demonic. They used to think that in the ancient world. Barrenness was a demon. Uh, if you had a fever, that just simply meant someone else was in you. That's why it raised your temperature. And that someone was a demon. Now, you say, well, we've moved beyond that. I mean, what a bunch of nincompoots, right? They had no idea what they were talking about back then. Maybe in one way they could see clearer than we could. Because in their world, they understood that there were powers at work against us All the religions of the world believe this, by the way. There are powers at work. Really, it's beyond the religious. Secularists. Politicians. Everybody knows we're at war. Everybody. Atheists. Even they feel like they need to correct everybody for some odd reason. Straight evolutionists who think everything is just perchance still want to promulgate their way. Why? Because they realize we're at war. There's a war going on. You may not have woken up to it yet, but that's what I'm praying will happen. Is you too will all of a sudden come into the reality that there is a cosmic war as much as a war in your own soul. So it goes from the universal level, so to speak, down into the historical level, all the way down into the personal level between your marriage, between your relationships between your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I already said that we're talking about things here that are really out of our pay grade. 
beyond us, outside of the realm that we can even understand or see. But I want to throw a couple, couple stats at you just to show you how far we're, we're even out here. So if you were, you know, everybody, everybody likes to look at the moon, right? You know, you see the, the moon the other night was a full moon. It was a beautiful night. It was a cool night. I was out. Loved it. It was amazing. You look up and you're like, man, that's that that great. Well, the moon is actually 252,088 miles away from us, right? So you say, well, if we go up to the moon, that's, that's quite a long ways. I mean, that's, that's, that's far, right? Well, Jupiter, who Jackson says is one of his favorite planets now that I explained how the planets work to him the other day, which is cool that I got to do that. Felt smart, even though I'm not on that subject. Jupiter is 365 million miles away from us at its closest rotation to us. All right. Now, speed up to light years, which light years is really a cool concept, isn't it? Uh, it's basically, you, you get out of the number thing because it's just too hard to crunch the numbers and you start going to light years. Notice this. The next star closest to us, right? So the next sun that's closest to us is going to be 4.3 light years away. Um, a light year is about 6 trillion miles. That's, that's getting on up there, right? Now still, trillion doesn't really scare us, right? Because our government, six trillion, that's nothing to us, right? Um, so that's, that's, still a, that's still a big number, but it's really not, uh, not in the grand scheme of things for us. So notice that the furthest galaxy that we know of, that was the closest star, but the furthest galaxy is actually 13 billion light years Away. So then you start taking that 6 trillion for one light year, then you go 13 billion. Now start doing those numbers and you've got astro- what, we, what we call astronomical numbers. Numbers that would fill up this entire room. Right? Now, that's just as far as we can see with our telescopes and things that we create. We have no idea if there's, if there's other whole... I mean, you realize we're in part of the Milky Way galaxy. That's just one. Once you back it up, you can't even see the Milky Way galaxy anymore, much less Earth. Now, you say, well, what's your point here? My point is this thing is bigger than us. This thing is way more than we ever thought it really was. You know, if you were a little baby, I get this from Peter Craft, if you were a little baby in the womb, you would think, man, this is a pretty spacious little place. I like this, right? I got my food source. You know, I don't have to really move around too much. I get kind of excited in here every once in a while, whatever, you know. Um, groove up in there some. But, but, you know, it's a spacious place for a baby, right? I mean, that's all they know. And when it's all you know, well, you have no other idea, right? I mean, looking back as a kid, all of us can say, man, we, we didn't have that much or we didn't have this or that that we have today and we thought it was great. We thought it was grand. Why? Because, well, you hadn't been exposed to anything beyond that. Well, when you're born, right... You realize, man, this is a this is a big place. It's a lot bigger than a womb, right? And Jesus, what did he just say in our reading? He told Nicodemus, what? You must be born again. One problem we do when we start thinking about stuff that's heavenly is we limit it and only define it by our world, by what we can know. But let me tell you something. We're in a type of womb. We think this is big, and I just told you some numbers that really just, right? Blow a gasket. I mean, 
It's hard for me to understand that. I mean, why would God care about that? I mean, we're not even any longer a speck when you back it up that far. We're, we're down at a microbial level. And yet, He's done all this stuff for that one little place, earth. Those little people on earth, humans. We're in a womb now. And Jesus says when we're born again, we'll be born into a whole nother world that is even grander and greater than this whole thing. This is great. This is big. That's what I'm saying. When, when, when the Bible says a heavenly host, we're not talking about just six billion people in the world matched with six billion. Eight. No, no, no. We're talking about innumerable angels attending to us. These angels care about us. Why? Because God cares about us and they are His messengers. That's what angel means. Messenger. Once I was sitting on the beach looking at the ocean, which when you go to the ocean, you kind of get this vastness thing, right? I mean, you look across and you're like, man, I thought my swimming pool was pretty big, but wow, right? And again, think of yourself as a baby. You think the little, little setup thing is, you know, you're splashing around, you're grooving. That's, this is great. Well, then you move it to the bathtub, then you move it to a swimming pool, then you move it to a lake, well, then you can go to the ocean, you're just like, that's a lot of water. That's a whole lot of water. And you just think about how long that goes and how deep that is. And yet, it's nothing compared to space. I was sitting there and I was thinking, this is amazing. And I, and I opened up my Bible because I was sitting on the beach and this is when I was a teenager, and I, and I turned to Revelation, and it said, it said, I met an angel, and this angel had one foot on the sea, and one foot on the land. <laughs> I thought, whoa. <laughs> wow. I just thought angels were like us, right? I mean, when you're trying to define that unseen world, you typically define it by what you know in the natural world, which is wrong, by the way. And here's this angel that is massive. <laughs> and he's on our side. That was the good news, right? He's on our side. And of course, the angel tells John to do certain things. And wouldn't you have done it? <laughs> he says, don't write about this. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> Definitely not. You know, he's questioning like a hand. Now, in a similar way, maybe angels see us as little pets. Just like we see a pet, we can really we can dominate any. I mean, you know, little, there's a little dog that always runs over our house. I mean, if you're not watching out, if you stepped on it, it'd be over. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's that small of a dog. Okay, it's really little, and it needs help. It needs a lot of help, I think. But don't we need a lot of help? Some of these angels can absolutely crush us, and yet they can't without God's permission. Not even the most fallen of them all, Satan himself, who was one of the highest levels of the tier of angels that there were, who fell. Not even him. Even he has to have God's permission and can do nothing beyond God's allowance. We know this from Job, by the way. Again, the biblical data in the Old Testament... There's not one person who is possessed of a demon that we see. Really interesting, isn't it? Now that you say, well, hang on. Now remember, Saul got an evil, well, it was an evil spirit from Yahweh. Don't have time to go into that, what that means. 
was not possession, however. So in the Old Testament, very limited data. New Testament, interestingly, you can't even get out of chapter 1 of the Gospel of Mark before you meet someone who is possessed with a devil. And you're saying, okay, that's interesting. Then you keep moving through Mark, lots of demonic possession. The guy who called himself Legion. Then you get to Acts, you have two cases. You get to the epistles, hardly any that are mentioned by name except for the powers that be. So Satan is mentioned, yes, not demon possession. Then you get to Revelation, the last book in the Bible, and it's like somebody unscrewed hell itself and let it out. You have the demonic everywhere. Satan himself carousing about, being talked about openly. And so you say, what's going on? That's <laughs> what I was saying. What, 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 what's the Bible trying to tell us? Well, you have to understand something. That is in the ancient Near East, which is the context of the entire Old Testament. Okay, Old Testament written over about... 1,500-year period. New Testament, 100-year period. In that 1,500 years, the entire context, the culture of it, is that demonic possession is everywhere. They believe in it. They fear it. They fear the moon. They fear the stars. They fear the woods. They fear night. They fear everything. And everything is connected to demonic possession, influence. Everything. And yet the Bible says nothing about it. Why? Because we're obsessed with it. That's why. When we're obsessed with it, we don't need to be, and therefore God's just saying, oh, that's nothing to me. Absolutely nothing. It doesn't scare me. It doesn't scare my people. They do not mythologize about the trees or the stars. And so what God is doing is draining the mythology, the divinity out of paganism. He's teaching His people that He is the only one to be worried about, the only one to be feared, right? (laughs) It's like my kids when they're in trouble. I'm the only one they should fear. Not what the police are going to say. Not what somebody else's parents are going to say. Not what some other kid is going to say. They better fear me. Because I'm the one who's going to bring the hammer. And Jesus and God is the same way. You are to fear Him the most. Not Satan. You would think our arch enemy, that's who we need to fear, right? That's who we need to have deep respect for, right? No, not at all. Not at all. Not even a bit. Instead, the Bible teaches that if you want to be a wise person, then fear God. Who is the only one who can send you to a place that will destroy your soul. Not Satan. Satan can do nothing apart from only what God allows to be done. Now, God does allow freedom. I mean, at the end of the day, when you trace the cord back, everything goes back to the source. The source is God. So if you're angry about your situation, you must ultimately be angry at God. Thankfully, in Jesus Christ, He takes all that anger into Himself, doesn't He? On the cross. And redeems it. You know, I mean, if you talk about whose fault it is that the world is like this, I mean, we're the ones who messed it up, but God allowed it to happen. In His providence, 
in His provision. And yet He came, didn't He? Tasted of His own medicine. You say, well, you know, that's really mean of God to do that. Well, He came and lived with us. Became one of us. If we must go through it, so did He. First, the firstborn of many. And so what we have here in the Old Testament, God is not trying to enhance that fear of the demonic. It's already there. There's no need for it. And what we find in Christianity is in places where it seems like everything is spiritual-minded and everybody is possessed, this sort of, God works differently. In America, our problem is not believing. We're, we're on the opposite. We, we flip the coin all the way around. We say, oh yeah, we don't have to worry about anything. And again, we fall into a different ditch. And that is the ditch of disbelief. Yes, we're not to fear, but are to believe in the unseen world. In uh, <laughs> Elisha's case, this man, this servant, needed a vision from heaven and he got it. The only way for us now is not through Elisha praying for us, but rather to be born again. That's the only way you're going to receive a heavenly vision. And doesn't it help when you get up high? I mean, if you want to see the landscape of Huntsville, the best thing is getting a plane. Then you're going to be able to see everything. That's, that's why, you know, if you're lost in the woods, you've got to get up high to see where you are. See where your landscape is. See what's ahead of you. When you're down in the midst of it, you can't see. And sometimes we're in the midst of it. All we can see is the Syrian army around us. All we can see is what's right in front of us. We haven't looked to the mountains over here. Beyond that, to God and His, His vision for our life, we've tried to be a good Christian We've tried to do things right, but that's not enough. That's what the enemy wants you to do, is think you're living a good life by simply doing things right. It's not enough. You must be born again. Born of the Spirit. Notice that? The Spirit. Not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. The reason the demons are coming out in the Gospels is because of Jesus. That's why. They see Him from afar. They are scared of Him. They submit to Him. What are you going to do to me, Son of God? That's what they say to Him. (laughs) Why did you come here? In the epistles, Paul simply warns us again of the unseen world, but does not go into demon possession. No need. It's not to fear for those who love God. Not at all. Nothing to be scared of at all. But then at the end, of course, everything's coming down. This is where the battle ends. And you know, at the end of a fireworks show, you have the bing, boom, 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 boom. You know, well, this is the end. You're talking about the fireworks show? This is where it's all coming down. Boom, 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 boom. And all the forces of evil will be destroyed. And if you're on the evil side, you too. What Revelation says is if you're doing wrong, keep doing wrong. If you're doing right, keep doing right. Because when He comes, the show's over. Battle's over. War's won. When He comes back, 
He'll be coming back in, with His Calvary. <laughs> a very different, by the way, vision of Jesus. We often think, you know, um, we, I don't know what we think sometimes. I, I really, it scares me sometimes what people think about Jesus. What John saw in Revelation was a Jesus that the only thing you could do was bow down before Him. That was it. There was nothing else to do but bow down before Him. If we could see the world around us right now, we would start praying immediately. It would be the only thing we would know how to do. You know, I too, like a little kid, have failed this morning to really express to you uh, this mandate that we must believe and yet not be afraid. But I pray that the Holy Spirit, who can do way more than I can do in two seconds, um, has spoken some things in your spirit. And if you haven't heard anything else, hear this. Jesus is the only powerful name that will heal you, that will keep you safe, that will make you victorious. That name will give you a vision and maybe even a name change. I don't mean your personal name, but your character. That's what He's going to do if we'll allow Him to. But it's the forces of evil that we play with that we toy with. And we're like a kid that's playing with a knife. We must stop. It's Lent. Stop. Stop doing certain things. Stop opening yourself up to certain things. Don't go down that road. I promise you, every one of His roads leads to destruction. Leads to death. My father always says, Satan will always take you further than you wanted to go. Make you pay more than you wanted to pay and make you stay longer than you wanted to stay. Haven't you found out to be true with sin? We think we like it. At the time, it's all we want. But then afterward, we feel like someone's laughing at us as we've been embarrassed, as we've been decimated. And because they are, they are. But guess what? (laughs) Look around! If we receive that heavenly vision, if we could just see what's around us, there's more of them than there are of our enemy. And that's something to be thankful for. We have protection in prayer. But you must pray. Be known as a person of prayer. You can't pray too much. You cannot pray too much. Call on His name as we respond to Jesus Christ. Amen.